Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The basketball season is back, and BetOnline remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season. Head to the new, updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is NFL Monday Week 7. If you were going to skip a week of NFL football, this would be the week to do it. We knew that coming in. We felt pretty confirmed about that coming out. So we've got Eight games to break down here with you on the podcast before we turn it over to the memes of the weekend where we laugh at a nine overtime game and the afternoon block where the NFL just decided in the middle of October. We're just going to put all of the games with terrible teams on the road against the best teams in the NFL all in the same block, which is absolutely hilarious as a scheduling move by the NFL, but even still... We'll talk about that coming up later because we still had some really interesting implications. Last week, everyone kept saying this was a market correction week, and this week felt like another version of that, but it did not turn out that way. And we begin NFL Monday with the Cincinnati Bengals, which is somehow the story of the week. Bengals ended up beating the Baltimore Ravens by 24 points, the biggest victory ever ever for the Cincinnati Bengals on the road in Baltimore, which is just stupid crazy. Their first place in the AFC North when you break the tie right now. And I said over on the slump buster that the Bengals weren't really a playoff team because they have an impossible schedule the rest of the season, which they do. And at the time they were three and one going to take on the Packers, which they almost won. And coming into this week, I said that the the Bengals are better than I thought they were, and I did not realize that schedule looks a whole lot better when you're a team that is capable of beating the snot out. Well, why did I say snot? Beating the shit out of the Pittsburgh Steelers, beating the shit out of the Baltimore Ravens on the road, and probably coulda, shoulda, woulda beat the Green Bay Packers at your home stadium. So if you can do that, then maybe you are a great team. And the Cincinnati Bengals find themselves 5-2. and two, More sacks through seven games than all of last season for the Cincinnati Bengals. 
Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, best deep ball combination in the NFL. Chase had 200 yards and a tutty for the Cincinnati Bengals. I know this because he started my fantasy team and helped me survive by, what do we call it, by Mageddon, I think is what people were calling it, where everyone has a bunch of their teams on by because really, really good teams all took buys this week. So I survived by Mageddon, courtesy of Jamar Chase and the Cincinnati Bengals offense. Joe Mixon got a crazy touchdown at the end of the game. P. Ryan got a touchdown. Like the Bengals offense elected to kick ass, as Nick Saban would say. And this is interesting because the Cincinnati Bengals were not the worst to first team we thought of at the start of the year, but everyone kind of conceded like we felt like the Bengals would be at least better this year. And it made me think about something that happened last year. And I've heard about this for a couple of years now, and I can't remember who brought my eye to it, but it's a really good point. Look at the splits with bad teams at the back end of the season. Look at how bad teams do towards the back part of the season. Because if you see a little bit of a turnaround towards the back end of the season, it could be the start of more to come, especially teams that have gone through rebuilds or in the middle of rebuilds or whatever it might be. And the Bengals were one of these teams, but I didn't even want to believe that they would get significantly better because they ended last year beating up on the Texans, which, you know, is the Texans. But even that year, the Texans were a seven-win team, not the terrible Texans team we're watching right now. They were still coulda, shoulda, woulda been a seven-win team. They were one of the unluckiest teams in one-possession games last year. They only won four games, but coulda, shoulda, woulda been a a seven-win team. Uh, Brandon Allen was actually quarterbacking that game that they beat up on. Um, And they ended up with five wins and had the magical Corvette Corvette game where they lit up Juju Smith-Schuster and dominated the Steelers on Monday Night Football that Stripe says was the best moment in a decade in Bengals football. So Cincinnati was that team that won three of their last five games, some of them in pretty resounding fashion against teams that we thought were pretty good. And so the Bengals were hot at the back end of the year, and I think people felt they'd be better, but I don't think people thought that they would be as good as they've been so far. And I think the sample size is getting close enough representatively where we can say the Bengals are a really good team, especially the defense. Like, that is a top, at the very least, 12 defense in the NFL this year, and I think very few people had the Bengals being a top 12 defense, especially considering they just could not rush the passer last year. And Trey Hendrickson awesome for agent pickup they traded him in for Carlos Dunlap uh, and the guy who went to the Jets whose name I forgot now um, but he tore his Achilles in the training camp and Trey Hendrickson's produced awesome Sam Hubbard had a sack in that game and Sam Hubbard's been a joke I've been making with stripe hype for a while like the Bengals are a really good team and on the flip side for Baltimore You can't feel too discouraged about this one, although there is something really interesting happening with the Ravens, because we know Baltimore generally has a good defense, and they proved it again last week. Baltimore's biggest concern right now is Ronnie Stanley is out for the season, and that was really quietly something that happened last Tuesday that I don't think got enough attention, is that potentially future Hall of Fame tackle Ronnie Stanley went out for the season for the Baltimore Ravens. And they don't have Orlando Brown this year. Remember, they traded him to the Kansas City Chiefs for what came out to essentially a high second-round pick. They like got the Chiefs first, but they sent them a third-rounder. Essentially, value play, they got a high second-round pick for 
Orlando Brown. And Baltimore really needs help on the offensive line. Lamar Jackson has these weird stretches this year where at times he looks like the MVP, but then against the Chargers in the second half, his QBR goes from 130 to 86. And against the Cincinnati Bengals, Lamar finishes with an 87.7 QBR, which is league average. League average is 91 for people who don't know the QBR numbers exactly. So average game, 15 for 31 passing, and he had a bunch of yards per completion and obviously the big touchdown to Hollywood Brown that also helped me survive by Mageddon. But even still, Lamar Jackson felt like he had no time to throw, and his next instinct is always to run the ball, which of course, Lamar Jackson's next instinct should always be to run the ball. But Lamar Jackson also took five sacks, incomplete passes on half of his attempts, and still finished with 88 rushing yards. So Lamar Jackson plays really well under duress. He's probably the quarterback most prepared to play under duress in the NFL, and that includes Patrick Mahomes. But even still, there is struggles Lamar Jackson has when he doesn't have two and a half seconds to throw, just like every quarterback in the NFL. And even though Jackson is better equipped than other quarterbacks, it doesn't make it an ideal situation, which is just a testament to how important an offensive line can be in the NFL, especially the all-pro slash future Hall of Fame potential left tackle that the Baltimore Ravens have had for Lamar Jackson's entire career, except for the end of last season when Ronnie Stanley suffered a massive injury, which again felt like something similar. We, we criticized the Ravens a bunch because their wide receiving core wasn't very good. The flip side to that is their offensive line wasn't very good either. Lamar Jackson was super rushed on throws with receivers dropping passes and receivers not being able to create separation. But now it feels like you fixed the problem with the separation. Rashad Bateman played really, really well in this game. Finished with three catches for 80 yards. Hollywood Brown, 80 yards and a touchdown. Mark Andrews, three catches, 48 yards. Mark Andrews was missed on a bunch of these. But again, there were only 15 completions in the game because the Ravens couldn't really throw the ball very much. And so Baltimore is scary because of the offensive line and when you play teams that can generate pass rush even Lamar Jackson is going to struggle similarly to what we saw with Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and to a certain extent Patrick Mahomes in the regular season like what we saw with Tom Brady at the end in New England like what we're seeing right now with Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears is that not having a left tackle or the backup left tackle in Tevin Jenkins is really creating problems for Justin Fields with timing. And really, a lot of the rookie quarterbacks, not just Justin Fields, have had these similar type problems. But now the Ravens are going to be battling this for the rest of the season, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the response goes because you don't have the running backs, you don't have the offensive line, can Lamar Jackson do everything? He's going to be he's going to be closer than any other quarterback in the NFL is to being able to do it. And yet it's concerning because it's a really really long season. It's going to be really really difficult for Baltimore going forward and we saw it against Cincinnati. Not that they're in jeopardy of not like making the championship or making the AFC championship or making the playoffs, but we talked about this last week with Blake Jude on the Stripe Hype Friday. Like, there's so many good teams 
in the AFC that the margins for error once we get to one-game sample sizes are going to be really, really small. And we can point to flaws like the Kansas City Chiefs defense or Josh Allen's accuracy declining from year over year or the Chargers, um, I guess, whatever, the Chargers are just not, they just don't have Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, I guess. Chargers are young, I suppose, uh, and the defense isn't at the as good as some of the other teams in the AFC, but even still... The Browns with injuries, like you can point to all these teams and say, here's where the margins are so thin. And for Baltimore, there's a lot of different holes you can poke in their ship. And maybe one of them will be just big enough to sink them later down the road. Nothing to panic with Baltimore right now. Like the Ravens don't really need to freak out. Like their team was five and one coming into the week. They can still win despite all of these problems, especially against lesser teams and even better teams like we saw against the Chargers. It's just going to be concerning over the long run but they'll go into their bye week they'll get everyone rested they'll they can relax a bit it's not the game you wanted to go but just take the week off exhale your team's going to be fine Baltimore's probably still going to win that division because again the Bengals schedule is an absolute gauntlet and I know that there's a worst to first every year but I think just the idea of the Bengals being worst to first kind of scares all of us, and we don't really know what to do with that, which is why I don't think it's going to happen. We'll talk more about this game, of course, with Blake Jude later on in the week, too, so I'll save some of the Bengals talk for him. is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here Washington I would like to say your season is officially over we declared this for the New York Giants last week and I would like to say that it is now officially over for you as for the Packers Packers kicked ass They've been kicking ass, except for that first game that I think everyone has kind of got in the back of their mouth, like a salty taste. It's hard to go away. Like when you burn the roof of your mouth, and like two days later, you can still kind of feel it right off the top. It's what it feels like that Saints game has done for the Packers, because the Packers have won six in a row. They've done it in pretty resounding fashion. And if I had to throw out like two teams that were like quietly Super Bowl good, it would be Baltimore and Green Bay. But I think neither of us are really like pointing to that as Super Bowl good. One by reputation, maybe both by reputation. I think Packers might be a reputation thing too because they've fallen apart a bit and people like to make jokes about the Packers. But also the whole Aaron Rodgers situation felt like we could kind of rule them out. It felt like everything was falling apart for Green Bay. But Green Bay has been really good this year. And... There's such a strange dichotomy of watching Aaron Rodgers operate in the one-minute offense, and it's just like every time he's going to, you know, throw across his body, and Aaron Rodgers is going to execute with screen passes to Alan Lazard. There was one play that set up the Alan Lazard touchdown where 
he recognizes that they're blitzing off the left edge, changes the play, throws a quick screen to Alan Lazard on, I believe it was second down, and Lazard ends up breaking it for like 16 yards down to the 10 off of a quick screen on a changed play. It's like watching Rodgers execute the one-minute offense where he, to start that game, was like 20 for 24, 200 yards, uh, a touchdown, no interceptions. Like watching that versus watching Tua, for example, run the two-minute offense where Tua, at the end of the first half against the Falcons, got picked in the end zone and he had a scramble play where it felt like he had the first down and then he kind of like slowed down because Tua's not as fast as I remember him once being and he took a hit and still finished two yards short and it was weird because I thought he had the automatic first down. It's like seeing the dichotomy this week made me appreciate Aaron Rodgers a bit. So Aaron Rodgers is just super consistent down the back stretches of these games and I just wish that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were treated like Super Bowl good at this point because they've been awesome so far this year. And Aaron Jones, I was wrong. I thought it was weird that they gave him the contract. I thought the whole point was to bring in A.J. Dillon and have him be the dominant back. They've got a two-back system with Aaron Jones dominating, and uh, A.J. Dillon comes in. He'll have a 20-fantasy-point game every now and then, and it feels like Pollard and Zeke with the Cowboys where they have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. And think about that. With an offensive line that loses Corey Lindsley and an offensive line that has David Bakhtiari, but he's been out a couple times this year and he got hurt at the end of last season. Like With all of that, they've still been one of the better rushing attacks in the NFL. And you also have... You know, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams duo that's been kicking ass. They were supposed to win this game, so it's not like it's totally shocking that they kicked ass against the Washington football team. But even still, it's been awesome for Green Bay so far. I feel like people aren't talking enough about the Green Bay Packers. Holy shit, New England Patriots. (laughs) I did not know the New England Patriots were capable of scoring 54 points in a football game in any football game that they played I know they used to have Tom Brady but I always think of them like once they get to a certain point they just start running the football all the time they just started running the football against the Jets and they were still beating the living shit out of the Jets and it made me feel so bad that I believed that the Jets could cover the seven point spread at New England Are the Patriots good? Like, I don't know what to do with the Patriots at this point. Their three wins are against the Jets twice and the Texans. They almost beat Tampa Bay in what was a really good game. They don't have the talent to compete at that level, but also they play in a shit division with the Dolphins and the Jets. So, like, I don't know what to do with the New England Patriots. They should have beat the Dolphins in week one, if not for the Damian Harris fumble. So, yeah, they're three and four, but you could make the argument that a couple bounces here and there, they're five and two, which makes them a 500 team, which means maybe they sneak into the playoffs in the AFC. But I I think they're probably about the same team as last year in that, like, seven and nine, eight and nine range, because now we have 17 games. I just don't know. I've gone back and forth so many times with the Patriots at this point. And for the Jets, like, there's no reason to pile on. Your season was done weeks ago. Like, it was done as soon as we saw Zach Wilson wasn't a very good quarterback, which is a 
you know, it sucks if you're a Jets fan, but still it's, it's rough out here if you're the Jets and now Zach Wilson is hurt. And at the time of recording, we know Zach Wilson is going to miss some amount of time. It's a PCL injury, according to Ian Rappaport, but we don't know how long the injury is going to be for at this point. But even still, like Mike White being your quarterback doesn't make that much of a difference between him and Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was basically playing like a backup quarterback at this point. It's just a team devoid of talent that's now trying to get a top pick. Like, there's no need to pile on on the Jets for this one. Like, the 53 points kind of sucks, but the difference between 38 and 53 not really that big of a deal other than just the opportunity to make fun of the Jets, which at this point, is it really fair to keep making fun of the Jets? It's been a rough three years. You don't need to keep piling on them at this point. It's been a rough go. It's really been a rough decade, but the Patriots, well done on their part. Damian Harris also helped me survive by Mageddon with 100 yards, two tutties. He's been awesome this year as a running back, and I felt really good about that coming into the season. Not just because I drafted him on fantasy teams, but it felt like the Patriots are committed to the running game and the Patriots had only one significant running back. They've used Bolden in there and some other guy got two random touchdowns at the end of the game, but it felt like Harris was the one guy. Now, I didn't think they'd trade Sony Michelle to reaffirm that even more, but Damian Harris can be the workhorse back for the Patriots with an offensive line that is, you know, pretty disappointing, but still pretty damn good relative to the rest of the league. I think they're ranked like 11th or 12th in the league right now. So again, I don't know if that's been a massive difference for them. And Mac Jones obviously has a super high completion percentage like we thought Mac Jones would be, which I don't know if that gets me excited or not. Mac Jones, I know people are talking about like Mac Jones being the best rookie quarterback, which is a really low bar to hit. And Mac Jones has been what we thought Mac Jones might be, which or what Mac Jones was in college, which is an extremely accurate quarterback, not asked to do anything else in the offense. Is that his fault? No, it's just a byproduct of the Patriots offense. But New England, I just don't know what to do with them at this point. And that's kind of just a weird dichotomy as the Patriots are now no longer the dynastic team in the NFL. It's trying to figure out what is this next iteration of the Patriots. Because I would argue like the worst thing for being a Patriots fan right now is not only do you have the expectations of what you used to be, but now you're in the case where everyone's reliving the glory days of the past, which sometimes can make decisions with your heart instead of your mind. We've seen it with the Spurs. They've bottomed out. Lakers, they bottomed out in the aftermath of Kobe Bryant. Cleveland Cavaliers, they bottomed out in the aftermath of LeBron James. Like, this happens to dynasties sometimes where they really bottom all the way out because they have to make decisions with their heart and based on what they used to be instead of what they're growing into. And people talk about Belichick aging out. It's not necessarily Belichick. Some of it's Robert Kraft, which are things that even Belichick can't control. Some of it is keeping Josh McDaniels trying to keep the system alive with less talented players because they've drafted poorly over the last few years. But they're still a pretty good team, maybe. <laughs> there is a weird scenario where the Patriots are 5-2 and two at this point if they don't fumble against the Dolphins or if they beat the Cowboys by winning a coin toss in overtime or if Nick Folk's field goal slips in from 55 yards. Like, those are just unlucky in one possession games that could end up derailing them towards the back end of the season. But 
They play in a division where they're now clearly the second best team, which means they just might sneak their way into the playoffs. Just one win against the Buffalo Bills away from sneaking their way into the playoffs. And I did not know they were capable of putting up 53 points. So congratulations to the Patriots for that victory as well. I still have somewhat faith in you guys for making a meaningless playoff spot. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York Are we at a point now where we should officially bury once and for all the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour song? Because it's been a month since we've gotten to play the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour Industry Baby remix. Not as long as it's taken since we've been able to play the Miami Dolphins song, because they just dropped six in a row. But it has been a long, long time for the Carolina Panthers. And now we got a total rock bottom where we wanted to milk as much content out of the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour as we possibly could. And it was a great analysis on our part because Sam Darnold got benched for P.J. Walker against the New York Giants of all teams. Giants fans, this is why I told you you should have fired Judge and Gettleman last week because the problem now is that you win one of these flute games and now all of a sudden the team is fighting for these guys or at least it looks like the team is fighting for these guys when you should not keep Dave Gettleman employed. You should not keep Joe Judge employed. You gotta just move on from it. And now you get a meaningless win that's gonna buy them more time to convince the Maras that they should be still employed. But anyways, back to the Carolina Panthers. Sam Darnold finished with a final completion percentage of 64% for 111 yards. 16 of 25. That's 7 yards Per completion, the lowest number since Nathan Peterman in his last start of 2017 with the Buffalo Bills. That was the last time someone completed less than seven yards per pass. Darnold, no touchdowns, one interception, 53, I'm sorry, 57.3 quarterback rating. It was a brutal day. By the way, P.J. Walker, 3 for 14 for 33 yards, got sacked three times. They had 61 total rushing yards. The Panthers were so atrocious against the Giants, the New York freaking Giants. It is so bad, so atrocious in Carolina right now. And Sam Darnold might have just gotten benched for P.J. Walker. Uh, 
again, you could have had Justin Fields. Not that things are going great for Justin Fields, but that's more just the Bears letting him down at this point. You could have had Mac Jones. You could have tried again with a young quarterback. Instead, you're going to pay Sam Darnold two years and $25 million, the same amount Jacoby Brissett got paid by the Colts, to basically be Jacoby Brissett. I <sighs> wanted to believe. wanted to believe in the revenge tour, except the fact that they were playing games against the Jets and the Saints and the Texans. I wanted to believe, but nope. It's over. The Panthers... And Sam Darnold's revenge tour may be dead and buried forever. All right, now let's talk about Patrick Mahomes because I've been putting this game back as far as I possibly can on the docket. Is there a way that game could have gone worse for the Chiefs? Like, I guess Kelsey could have been injured more than he was. Or maybe Mahomes, that last play, gets him injured, but or like injured like week to week. But other than that, like in terms of like everyone being intact, I don't think that you could have taken a bigger L than the Kansas City Chiefs did against the Titans. And these are I mean, we talked earlier about the the Ravens and how you can poke holes in the Ravens and you can poke holes in the Chargers and you can poke holes in Baltimore, especially now with injuries and Cleveland with injuries. You look at Kansas City, there are so many places that you can poke holes and I think at least this part, this far through the season, you can poke holes far enough where the whole thing starts to deflate. Because Patrick Mahomes has played a few games in a row pretty bad. This one obviously probably takes the cake. 20 for 35, 206 yards, no touchdowns, the one pick, 62 quarterback rating, almost as bad as Sam Darnold on the passer rating game. Like, this one might take the cake for worst, but... Look at the holes you can poke in this one. Like, you, first of all, put a big old hole through that defense because Kansas City's defense is bad. And this is something like I know we come off as Mahomes defenders because I love me some Mahomes. He's literally in the cover art to the podcast. But we've been saying consistently all year, or at least I've been saying consistently all year, Kansas City's defense is terrible. And that's something that's really concerning because that first year in 2018, they had like the 29th ranked defense in DVOA and they didn't get to the Super Bowl because when it came down to it at the end, their whole season came down to Tom Brady versus the terrible defense. And that was the end of the run. So that's concerning once you get to the playoffs. It's not going to like derail the team now because they can score points at will. Now we move to the offensive side of the ball. Titans defense, not very good either. Four sacks. Four sacks on Patrick Mahomes in that game. You could point to the offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs as not being in the strongest position they've been in before. Um, I know most of the people are healthy at this point for Kansas City. They tried to add to depth with the doctor and Kyle Long. I haven't seen either of them playing this year for Kansas City so far. Um, the Chiefs are really in a difficult position with pass protection for Mahomes, the exact same problem they had in the Super Bowl last year when Mahomes got exposed in a way we've never seen Patrick Mahomes get exposed, and then they end up having the same issues now later in the season. Although they have Orlando Brown, and although they still have Creed Humphrey at center, they don't have their starter Austin Blythe, and they don't have, as I suspected, (laughs) Kyle Long 
or LDT, the doctor guy who came back. Both of them have been out for an extended period of time. So I was right in my assessment that I haven't seen either of them this year. They've been out for most of the year. Kyle Long going back to week one. There you go. Kyle Long's been gone since week one. And LDT, uh, he was just ruled out for this game, but he's played in a couple of them before. But uh, he's got a broken hand. So they've already lost the depth. Mike Remmers is still starting at right tackle, which was the exact same problem they had last time was Mike Remmers was starting at left tackle during the Super Bowl. They don't have any coordination on the offensive line. Although they have Tooney and Brown, which are significant upgrades, it's still not doing enough because the rest of the line is kind of just popping in and out in different places. So you've got that going wrong. You've got the turnover issue for the Kansas City Chiefs, which went all the way up. And again, we can talk about how good the Titans have been. Like, that's another part of it, because the Titans have now beaten the Bills and the Chiefs. But let's not pretend the Titans are a really good team. Let's let's not pretend the Titans aren't going to be the fourth wildcard team playing on ESPN and losing to someone in the five seed. We can talk more in depth about the Titans when situation presents itself, but let's poke holes in the Chiefs some more. So defense, knew it was a problem, been talking about it for seven weeks. Offensive line, increasingly becoming a problem for the Chiefs. Reminds us a lot of what we saw in the Super Bowl. Turnover issue is a new one. Mahomes was one of the luckier quarterbacks in the NFL last year. We did the analysis on, um, on the game that we did back in August with Blake Jude. Pretty lucky last year that he didn't have more interceptions than the six that he actually threw. This year is a combination of the team is fumbling the ball at a high rate and Patrick Mahomes is making weird turnovers that we don't expect Patrick Mahomes to make. And I don't know the explanation for it. I'm not smart enough from a football analysis standpoint to be like, why does Patrick Mahomes have nine turnovers this year when in the past his strength was he can do all these crazy things while not turning the ball over? I don't have a good explanation for that one. The fumbling part, that's another weird situation that I don't know why Mahomes has developed a fumbling pattern. But then you go back through past years, and Patrick Mahomes has had some cases of fumbling in his past. 2018, the year that he won MVP, fumbled the ball nine times. 2019, the full season was only 13 games because he got hurt, only had three fumbles. 2020, five fumbles. 2021, already has three fumbles. So actually, the fumbling is not as strange, and the turnovers can kind of be explained by Patrick Mahomes was remarkably lucky in the past, and so he's now getting less lucky this time around explainable, but again, it's strange why all of a sudden it started to develop. It's like the thing I talk about all the time with the Angels, where I think we can explain it away even if I don't understand why it's happening. These are like potential explanations for why it is. But altogether, like you put that, you put the defense together, you put the turnover problem, and you put the offensive line struggle. And offensive line problems and turnovers sometimes go hand in hand. Like I remember the Washington game, the the one where Mahomes kind of just flung the ball over his head and got picked. Yeah, that's one of those cases where it goes hand in hand. But now when you have more turnovers than the Jacksonville Jaguars, that's when you look up and say, okay, where 
do we go from here trying to correct it if you're the Chiefs and doing analysis? It's like, okay, this is a real problem. It's something that could be an issue come playoff time while still assuming that the Kansas City Chiefs, although they have the same record as the New England Patriots, we just trust that offense way more. Uh, so, And we trust that quarterback way more that just by virtue of having him, they can beat any team any given Sunday. And slowly but steadily, I think some people have lost faith in that. I think I'm probably further on the spectrum of believing, but that's just because I'm a Patrick Mahomes guy. But I think everyone's in different places right now, and so it's hard to properly evaluate the Kansas City Chiefs when, even still, I know this is a little bit of a cop-out, it's still a small sample size. It's still a small sample size of poor performances by the Chiefs. They could be 4-3. and three. They could be first place in the AFC West still. And we just assume by virtue of having that quarterback, they can win any given weekend and against any given team. And that includes the postseason, even as their defense plays terrible, even as Travis Kelsey struggles, and even as Tyreek Hill hasn't really showed up in the last few games. The other thing the Titans did really well, and I should acknowledge specifically for this game, Titans had three times the time of possession of the Kansas City Chiefs until garbage time, which was after the Mahomes injury happened. 34 minutes, the Titans possessed the ball. 11 minutes, the Kansas City Chiefs possessed it in the first three quarters of the game. Three times winning on time of possession. Uh, The Titans basically said, we're going to run every second of the play clock. We're going to run screen pass, screen pass, screen pass with Ryan Tannehill. We're going to give the ball to Derrick Henry 29 times because we're just going to dominate time of possession, keep the ball away from Mahomes, which makes it even worse that they held the ball for 11 minutes and the Kansas City Chiefs let Mahomes get sacked four times. Four times in 11 minutes of offensive football, Patrick Mahomes got sacked. And so all of that is coming together where everything is caving in around Mahomes. And while, like we talked about with Lamar Jackson, Mahomes might be the most prepared quarterback in the NFL for when things collapse around him, it's still not a great situation when your entire team falls apart around you. Because even Mahomes is human. And Mahomes will make more mistakes. And if you put less talent around him and players get injured, Kansas City Chiefs may not make it to the Super Bowl or the conference championship. It's entirely possible. Does that mean they're not an elite team? Absolutely not. The Kansas City Chiefs are definitely still an elite team. But that's just because I haven't seen enough to not believe it. And I'm already giving them the title the same way college football power rankings give the, give teams the elite title just based on preseason rankings, where Michigan's undefeated and they're still like seventh in the country, while Oklahoma gets to be number three. When Oklahoma has not looked more impressive than Michigan, but preseason rankings are still in the back of our minds. So that's kind of where the Chiefs are at at this point. Still one of the seven best teams in the NFL, might be the best team in the AFC, but obvious concerns with holes you can poke into at this point that are really, you know, I'm not going to panic, but I think other people are panicking. And I understand if other people want to panic around the Chiefs or if other people want to write off the Chiefs. Totally get it. It's understandable how you get to that point. I guess my uh, personal leanings are just preventing me from reaching that stage of DEFCON 9. Hi, uh- 
got no music in your soul, sister. I am aware of that. Yes. We'll talk more about the afternoon window coming up in a, in our uh, Memes of the Weekend podcast because the NFL did us dirty this weekend with the magical set of games in the afternoon block. But shout out to the Raiders. Needed a transition. They're 5-2. and two. Are the Raiders for real? Nobody really knows. We'll find out later on, I guess, because I think they have a bye week and then in the Giants. So, like, we have to keep pretending the Raiders are really good, but they'll probably make the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe the Raiders got something in their system other than whatever Bugs Bunny was talking about during that magical clip. Of course, from the classic Looney Tunes Back in Action 2004 movie of Bugs Bunny singing Elvis Presley's Viva Las Vegas. Because, of course, that's exactly what that was. Um, But I did want to talk about the Eagles and the Falcons, who had two very different weeks. But as franchises, they're pretty much on the same trajectory at this point. They're both in the midst of rebuilds. They'd kind of been hanging around the middle of the pack for a while, and the Falcons bottomed out last year. The Eagles bottomed out last year. The Eagles ended up trading back in the draft to acquire extra capital for a rebuild. They dumped Carson Wentz's contract. The Falcons fired their coach, dumped uh, Julio Jones's contract, went into full rebuild mode, drafted Kyle Pitts at the top of the draft. Eagles drafted Devonta Smith, which is not really like the traditional picks you'd take if you're in a rebuilding situation. Usually it'd be like a quarterback or a offensive line or an edge rusher, maybe a corner but they still took skill position players, and both of them have been pretty good this year. I mean, Jalen Hurts had an awful game against the Raiders, so I don't know how much you want to evaluate from that. But even still, both are in interesting places for their franchises right now because both teams were set up to lose at the start of the season, and both have done better than one might expect, which might end up hurting them down the road. But anyways, this is a way to get into the Philadelphia Eagles losing to the Raiders, but then transition that over to the Falcons because the Falcons beat the Miami Dolphins this week on a last-second game winner, and it was wacky and wild, and it leads me into wanting to talk about the Falcons' chaos game because, boy, did I miss a good Falcons' chaos game. It had been a while since we'd seen one. We went the start of the season without it, and then the Washington game happened, and it just felt good. It felt great to have a classic Falcons' chaos game where... Tua's thrown interceptions, and then the Falcons are fumbling, and then the Dolphins are fumbling, and then Ryan, Matt Ryan is getting stripped at the end of games, and it's leading to Tua scoring game-winning touchdowns, and Dolphins fans are getting excited because Tua, although, like I talked about earlier, Tua in the one-minute drill put next to Aaron Rodgers is like the clear evidence of why Tua is not going to be a special player, but even still... Tua, you want to just believe there's something there if you're a Dolphins fan. And he gives you the game-winning drive, and then Matt Ryan goes right down the field and swipes your heart right out from under you and wins the game with a young Waku field goal, who I think has only missed one field goal in the last two seasons, which is kind of crazy. But Atlanta was in a weird position coming into the year. They're now coming off win against the Jets by win against the Dolphins, which is kind of the same thing we were just talking about with the Raiders. And so I'm interested by what ends up happening with the Falcons down the road because they aren't that good. It's a team designed to lose, but also they've been better than I expected. So maybe this fast tracks the rebuild. Maybe they need those top picks other than just Kyle Pitts because this was the part that was interesting coming into the start too was 
Kyle Pitts was the guy who was like, that's the highest pick of your rebuild. And he's been awesome so far. And Matt Ryan is still holding out hope that he can be a tier three quarterback right there as Joe Burrow jumps past him and Baker Mayfield jumps past him. Just holding out hope that he can be a tier three quarterback that the Falcons actually want playing for their team. And maybe some wins will help with that. And this was an interesting game at the very least against the Dolphins. Did we learn anything about either team? No, we learned both teams aren't very good. They're about evenly matched, and it was a Falcons chaos game. Both teams scored in the 30s. Matt Ryan, did he get the 300 yards that we were looking for? Yep, 336 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Both teams almost scored in the 30s. Dolphins only had 28. They were both turning the ball over at the end. We learned nothing about either team, but we know both of them aren't actually that good. But we knew that coming into the game, and so the classic Falcons chaos game makes me feel good about a pretty dud of a Sunday afternoon, especially in the morning block where the only game that was close down to the end was the Falcons chaos game during the boring witching hour during the NFL Sunday. But man, it felt good to have it just for a split second, just for a split second. It felt good to have the Falcons chaos game. Anyone, you could say how good the Falcons are at this point. The team feels pretty much like they're in a rebuild and they'll probably lose these games as they play, you know, the the Buccaneers again or as they play the Saints maybe. Uh, What does the Falcons schedule look like the rest of the way? Falcons have next up Panthers, Saints, Cowboys. That's rough. Patriots, also rough. Uh, Jaguars, that should be good for them. They beat the Jets, they beat the Dolphins already, so they'll have that down. Then Bucks game, that's when you start to see the record fade for the Falcons a little bit. But they were like, what, a 5-12 and team coming into the year, and the fact they've already got three wins, and the fact they still play the Jaguars and the Lions, that's pretty good. But I think the Jaguars and Lions are also looking at the Falcons and saying, that's a game we can win, right? We, we can maybe steal one of those right there. Maybe, just maybe. They're looking around like this is yeah we could pull that off we we could win we could win against the Falcons right anyways so that's intrigue around the Falcons um, Eagles set up to lose team's gonna start losing some games uh, what is their wins this year they beat the Panthers already that was a weird game that they won uh, I forgot what the other game they won was but feels weird that the Eagles are two and five and I feel vindicated oh they beat the Falcons that's right (laughs) I forgot we were just talking about the Falcons not that long ago they beat the living snot out of the Falcons. why do I keep saying snot they beat the living shit out of the Falcons uh and the Eagles are not good at football but again these are teams that were designed to lose coming into the year it's re two it's year two of a rebuild maybe Arthur Smith makes his way through it maybe our buddy uh Nick Sirianni makes his way through it less likely than Arthur Smith but still Maybe it works out for those guys as they go through the long, arduous rebuild. I love that everyone across the country got to experience the Sunday night football, Colts 49ers, downpour rain game. And it's the first major rainstorm up here in Northern California in seven months. It's been a long time since we've had rain. Actually, it's a once every 50 year storm over here in uh, Sacramento, where I am, which is about an hour and a half east of San Fran for people who are wondering. So we're getting the same rainstorm right now. It's downpouring right now as I talk to you. 
Like the 49ers are getting the brunt of the rain. We got it this afternoon. Like it is six inches of rain within 24 hours. Like this is a massive downpour. I haven't gone outside today and it's a good day to have that happen because it's a football Sunday, but man, was it a downpour. And everyone got to experience the fun of that as Carson Wentz wins for the Colts and the 49ers get to be perfectly mediocre and all that fun stuff. Like, what a day it was to enjoy that one. So I hope everyone enjoyed the downpour Colts 49ers game because when these weather games happen, you can't really learn anything about the teams that you're watching. Like, I guess the Colts are better than we all initially thought they were, and maybe they could also be 5-2 and two like the Patriots and Chiefs. But even still, Indy... Not that much you can learn from this one. Weird rain game. Xavier Rhodes got hurt in pregame. Might have like messed up his Achilles during a pregame drill, which is rough for the Colts. No Rodrigo Blankenship. Maybe they'll succumb to injuries too. But either way, you know, you can't learn that much from this game. And also, I didn't watch it. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. Check out the Memes of the Weekend pod. Maybe you just listen to the Memes of the Weekend pod because it's ahead of the NFL Monday pod. But check that out. Check out Wired Up. Love all the support we're seeing here. You guys have made the podcast super popular this month. Maybe it's just a football season thing. Maybe it's the Instagram algorithms doing well for us. But thanks to everyone who's been supporting the podcast here over the past few days. Leave a five-star review. Uh, Leave a download or two or three or 500 because we get two cents every time you download a podcast. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for stopping in with us during this NFL Monday, week number seven.